Good morning, Fairhill Church. It's good to be with you. Uh, It's good to be looking at the Word with you this morning. Uh, So today we are looking at uh, one of probably the most popular miracles of all time that Jesus ever did, uh, the walking on water, as it's called. All right, so uh, this is probably one of the most popular, one of the most, uh, I don't know, well-known, culturally representative uh, to think of Jesus as to think of him walking on water. And yet, I think that oftentimes uh, we don't have a very full picture of what that actually means. Why does it matter that Jesus walks on water? What does it mean for him to walk on water? And maybe we simply say, well, Jesus is God. Okay, Jesus is God. Uh, But what do we know about God by the fact that he is walking on the water? What does it say about him? What does it speak to us? What does it have to do with our lives that he's doing that? Is it just a, a parlor trick that uh, shows him off as glorious, or is there something more meaningful here? I'm probably leaning towards the second. There is something more meaningful here, uh, and we're going to talk about it. So uh, let's look at Mark 6, verses 45 uh, through six, uh, 52. Mark five, uh, 6, verses 45 through 52. Now, just remember, this is just after the feeding of 5,000. And immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all uh, saw him and were terrified. Excuse me, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you sent your son to, to walk upon the water. Father, to walk upon the sea and we ask that by your spirit we might understand what that means about him and what that means for us. Father, would this not just be uh, a story that we enjoy for its, uh, I don't know, its cinematic value, but Father, that we would enjoy it for what it speaks to us, that it would be speaking uh, words of comfort and love and, and peace to us. So Father, would you use your word? Would you help us to understand and would you help us to, once we do understand, to apply and to live in the light of these things? Father, would you fill us with your spirit now that we may understand your word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, just some background here. There's a, there's a fair amount of background to this story just to set it up. So following the, the feeding of the 5,000, uh, Jesus just proved that uh, he could provide for the people. That he could, uh, in John, I mean, this is, it's the, he's the bread of life. 
And there's meaning here, not just that he did this miracle, but there's implications about who he is and what that means for us. We talked about that it meant that he is the sustainer, he's the giver of life, that he's also the giver of satisfaction and rest, that all those things are found in Jesus. And from that then, uh, we're building off of it, that he's the sustainer and nourisher of life, and he sends his disciples off in a boat while he dismisses the crowd and goes to pray to his father. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, and he dismissed the crowd. After he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. All right. So we saw that the disciples, they needed Jesus to be their nourishment and their sustenance and their, their rest. And then we see Jesus, he in turn goes to the Father to find that same nourishment and comfort and rest that Jesus needs those same things. And uh, this is totally an aside, but if any part of you says that, like, you know, I can get by without praying, I can get by without going to my Father, I can get by without reading the Word, I've probably read it enough, I've prayed the prayers that need to be said. Uh, if Jesus did it, he, we probably need to do it too. Just a reminder that, like, we are sustained by the presence of our, our Lord and uh, by fellowshipping with Him. I don't know, as a, as a very, very side caveat, notice what time of the day He does it. Uh, he does it, like, late afternoon, evening, so... If you're that person who doesn't feel spiritual enough because you don't get up at 5 a.m. or 3 a.m. to pray for three hours, uh, that's okay. Jesus doesn't either. All right. Sometimes he gets up early. Sometimes he gets up late. Um, but he does need it, and that sustains him. And uh, that really doesn't have much to do with the rest of the story. All right. This is just basically context to say, how did Jesus and the disciples get separated from one another in the context of this story? And that is how it happened. He was out praying on the mountain. And then he looks and sees where his disciples are. Verse 47, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. All right, so Jesus is up on the mountain looking down upon the Sea of Galilee, and he sees his disciples in a boat with the wind storming against them. They're not making any movement to where they're trying to get to Bethsaida. And so just a little bit of context here. This is not Jesus ultimately. Uh, he's not walking on a pool. He's not walking on a, a, a peaceful lake. This is not a, a boat trip to Elk Neck where everyone's like lounging around. That's oftentimes how I think, I think, I think about it. Is that he's just like strolling across the pond and there's ducks going by. All right, no, he's not, all right, he's not walking just on the water. All right, because there's something different about walking on water. In the, the biblical narrative, water is life. And water is, uh, is sustaining, just like the bread is. When Jesus comes, he says, I'm, I am the, I'll give you living water. All right, water is generally positive. No, this is Jesus coming upon the storming sea. He walks upon the sea. We actually don't see water in this story at all. And the difference between water and sea is huge. Because what does the sea represent? The sea doesn't represent life. The sea represents three main things in the biblical narrative. Uh, it represents chaos and fear and death. Chaos and fear and death. That is where Jesus sees his disciples. 
That is what the, the people of Israel see when they look upon the sea. They don't, see, uh, they don't long for a beach home. They don't look for sunsets. They're not thinking fish. What are they thinking? They are thinking uh, that is chaos and fear and death. This is a nomadic, agricultural people. They want nothing to do with the ocean. So let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, chaos. Chaos. All right. If you are a people who is accustomed to roaming the land and growing agriculturally, that's where you get your food, uh, you look at the sea, and what do you see? You just see this mass of movement and chaos, uncontrollable, untamable, and there's no life there. All right. You can't drink it. You can't farm on it. You can't stand on it. You can't live on it. It's just chaos. Untamable, uncontrollable chaos. And throughout the biblical narrative, that's what's what, what the water is. When, when God comes and uh, when he creates, the first, he creates this kind of amorphous blob of water all mixed together. And you see the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the deep. All right, that's not a good thing. Because there's no life there. We'd said that it's, it's uninhabitable and void. And so what are the, some of the first things that God does? He has to gather that chaotic water together into oceans and lakes. And he has to separate out the land so that there's a place to live, so that there's a place of order for the people of God and for the creation that he is making to live. The place for us. And the rest of the sea remains this kind of embodiment of the kind of remaining chaos and craziness that is left over before uh, full glory is given to creation. It's chaos. Next, it's, it's a place of fear. All right, so a story about this one. Uh, all right, so we went on, my family, we went on like one big vacation growing up. We went to Cabo San Lucas. All right. And they had these, these beautiful pools at the hotel, and they decided to put these mosaics at the bottom of the pool that looked like dolphins and orcas, and it was kind of fun during the daytime. All right, then you get a bunch of elementary school kids in the middle of night, and they don't like the pools, and what do you see? Like, there's creatures in the pools, and we were terrified. It was like there were sharks at the bottom of the pool, and you didn't, they didn't look like dolphins anymore. They were terrifying, and we didn't swim in the pools at night. All right. That's like the microcosm approach of how the people felt towards the, the deep. That they don't know what's down there. And they don't know what that is. And that's where we, we see the, the Leviathan, this creature that lives under the water. We see in apocalyptic literature, in Revelation and in Daniel, what comes up out of the water but like the, the creatures, the beasts that represent all of the, the, the danger and the evil of the nations and the world and the kingdoms of darkness, they all, they all kind of, like Godzilla, kind of like oozed out of the, the sea. It's a place of great fear. And finally, it's a place of death. Now, it, it, that's kind of obvious. There's the, the drowning element associated with the sea, but... Uh, Throughout the biblical narrative, the, the sea has embodied death. 
What do you think of Jonah? Jonah, he doesn't just, uh, he isn't just thrown into the water. He is thrown to his death. And the time that he spends three days in the belly of the whale or the fish, that's his death. It's a symbol of the grave. When we think of the Red Sea, we talked about the Red Sea in these songs. And that's in some sense a rescue story, but that's in sense, another sense, that's a, a resurrection story. That when the people go down into the sea and are surrounded by it, they're, they're going down into death, into the grave, that they might come up on the other side. It's a picture of the death and resurrection. All right. So with that in mind, uh, the sea has this symbolic value, and we have to think, okay, we're not scared of the sea, but what is, what is the, the sea in your life? I hate that. That sounds really cheesy. I get it. But uh, where, where are the places of chaos? Where are the places of fear? Where are the places of death that kind of force their way into your life? And what do you do with them? That's the question that we're kind of approached with in the story. That's where the disciples are. They are surrounded by this. And what does, what does it look like for Jesus to come to them in the midst of it? All right, so that's kind of our context and our background. And we want that to be stuck in our minds, uh, the places of chaos and fear and death. So late at night, around 3 to 6 a.m., here comes Jesus. About the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. So he was just going to show them that he was walking by a picture of his deity, a picture of his power, a picture of... We'll talk about it. Uh, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, and they, and they all saw him and were terrified. All right. So they're supposed to see. They're supposed to see their great Lord walking on the water. Their great Lord walking on the sea, and it is supposed to be this celebration of his victory over it, his power his rule, but instead, what do they end up there? They're screaming and they're crying out. They're terrified. And that's what we'll start with, uh, with what they're supposed to get out of it and then what they take out of it in the end. Uh, all right, this is the kind of reverse of the, the feeding of the 5,000. So the feeding of the 5,000 was kind of the positive and say, yeah, I can give you life, I can sustain you, I can give you contentment and satisfaction but on the other hand, we have this walking on the water, and it's a victory over the opposite of all those things. This is Jesus basically trampling all over chaos and fear and death. And the things that should bring chaos and fear and death, Jesus is just strolling through them like it's a park. And that's where it's not just this general deity, it's supposed to be this, uh, this picture that for Jesus... The things that are chaos are order. And there's a plan in them, and they, they do not disrupt him. They don't throw him aside. They don't cast him off. No, he, he, he walks right through them. The places of fear are places of courage and faith. There's nothing to fear, and he reminds them, you know, take heart, do not be afraid. Then when we are... are tempted to give way to fear, you know, Jesus, Jesus is not. 
he walks right through. And places of death are places of life. That Jesus is not swallowed up. Jesus is not drowned. Jesus is not destroyed. He, he just prevails over all of it. That's what we're supposed to get is this picture of Jesus walking on the water. But what do the disciples see? Instead of Jesus over the sea, instead they see the sea has, has kind of clouded their vision of Jesus and they see a ghost. They see Jesus wandering in the chaos. They see Jesus as an object of fear. They see Jesus as dead. That what is supposed to be this picture of his victory, they, they are so blinded by the sea and all that it encompasses, that they, they cannot see Jesus, they do not see him, and they will not see him. And look at, look at how it's described here. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. All right, what is this saying? This is saying that, uh, they should have known. They should have known that this wasn't a ghost. They should have known that this was Jesus. And they shouldn't have been surprised by it. Because they had seen the, the miracle of the loaves, and they're supposed to see Jesus as this great bringer of life and peace. And how could they then turn around and not understand that he would be victorious over death and chaos and fear? And there's rebuke in this passage, just like the rebuke of the calming of the storm that the reason they didn't see Jesus walking on the sea was not because they just didn't understand. It's because their hearts were hardened and they could not believe. And they did not believe. And they didn't take what they knew about Jesus into this new situation, this new world, this, this place of chaos and fear and death. Instead, it overwhelmed even Jesus and they could not see him. Now, what does that mean for us? All right. Do you have an ability to see Jesus walking on the sea in places of chaos? Do you see Jesus walking on the sea? Do you expect to see him walking on those chaotic waters? We think of, of relational chaos. We think of financial chaos. We think of chaos in the world, chaos in our nation, chaos, and for you who have kids during COVID and they're trying to homeschool them, you chaos, all right. I, know, I, I feel for you guys, sorry. Uh, all right, can Jesus walk on that water? And does he walk on that water? Is he in control? Does he have a plan or is he just a, just a ghost? Doesn't bring anything into the situation. He doesn't bring any peace. All right, we think of our fears. We have fears of, of COVID. We have fears of disease. We have fears of, of suffering and destruction and instability. Do you expect to see Jesus walking on those waters? Do you look for him to be walking on the water, to be above those fears and to be in control of them? And finally, when you do 
He looked for Jesus walking on the waters in the face of death. When death and mourning and sorrow comes, do we expect to see Jesus walking on the water? And that's where Jesus, he is victorious over these things. He is bigger than these things. He is Lord of these things. And he is Lord over them as they come into your lives, into my life. If only we would see him and believe that he could walk among them, that he is more powerful than them. All right. Now, uh, this story doesn't go here, but it's, it's, it's way too interesting not to go here. Uh, so Matthew, Matthew takes us here, and Matthew talks about, you know, it's not just that Jesus comes and, and walks in the water. Uh, we have this encounter with Peter. That Peter comes and he says, you know what, I, I want to walk on the water. I want to walk on the water with you. Jesus, like, invite me out to walk on the water with you, and he does. Now, Peter shouldn't be able to walk on the water, in case that isn't obvious. Uh, but what does he do as he, as he looks and, and holds his gaze upon Jesus Christ? He is able to walk upon the water too. That's amazing. This is a, this is a, a transferable miracle. That as Peter is, is, is focused and narrowed in on Jesus Christ alone, he is also able to walk upon the chaos and the fear and the death. But, what does he do? He starts looking at the wind. He starts looking at the waves, and they start overwhelming his, his vision and his heart and his faith, and he starts to sink. All right. That's right. Miraculously, we are offered this kind of great peace to walk upon the waters, to walk upon the sea but we have to keep our eyes transfixed on Jesus and Jesus. And Jesus again and again and again. We cannot focus on the waves and the, and the sea and the chaos and the death and the fear. We have to look at Jesus. All right, what does this look like? Uh, so how does, how does Jesus bring peace in the chaos? All right, we talked about how we are, we are children now, we are not children because we are all born as by God our Father and Mother Earth and He created all of us. That's not how. All right, how did we become children? Because Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God. And that then moves us into a place where God stood over us in both in judgment and now He is for us as children to the Father and now the chaos that used to be real chaos and used to be just open destruction, now for those who are in Christ, is now perfect calm. Now it may look chaotic. It may look like the storm is still raging, but what is the promise? The promise is that every single thing that happens in your life is given to you by a loving Father who is not allowing for just random things to happen, but he is tailor-making his discipline specifically to you to build in you holiness and Christ-likeness so that you are prepared to make it to your heavenly home. That every second of every day, that is what he's doing. There is no more chaos. There is nothing that goes unplanned. 
And as we look at Jesus and believe that that is who God is and that is, who our, that is what our lives are, we are able to walk upon the waters of chaos. We are able to walk upon those waters. Now we think of other things like the, we look at the chaos of the world around us. And remember, Jesus, he's king. He is king and he is Lord and he is building his kingdom these things that look like chaos, Jesus is walking upon them and he is building his kingdom upon the chaos of the world and the brokenness of the world and reminded, like, look at Jesus and be reminded of that fact. It is not chaos. It is, it is actually the, the amazing working of our sovereign Lord walking upon it. And as we gaze and trans, are transfixed with Jesus, we can walk too. Now, how does Jesus bring courage and faith in places of fear? Jesus will be victorious over everything that you fear. And that when Jesus is risen to his throne and we are with him, there will be no more things to fear and all the things that we feared will have passed away. And I think that the things that we fear, we fear judgment from God that is consumed with the cross and should no longer be a fear. I think of fear of people. You have this beautiful picture. Like, why would you fear someone who can, yes, destroy your life, but you are already reconciled to the one who can destroy, destroy the soul and he will never destroy you. And we trust that whatever happens in this life, that we have a just God who stands above it. And so we don't fear injustice, we don't fear losing in the world, we don't fear our enemies being victorious. That we have a kingdom that is secure, a place that is secure, we have a God who is just. We can let go of those fears because we are looking at Jesus. We think of disease and suffering and trial and are reminded that we are going to make it to a world where those things will not exist because Jesus Christ has already defeated them because he trampled them underfoot, he walked upon them. And other fears, they're so, they're, we realize they're just idols. And that as we look at Jesus, that even our desire for those things passes away, that we don't longer, no longer fear losing them, we actually give them to Jesus. And we walk upon the waters. And finally, how can we how can we walk on the waters in the midst of death? We, we know we have a Savior. And we know we have a resurrected one. We have one who is alive. And one who brings hope. And one who will dwell with us as we mourn and will be with us as we are lonely and heartbroken. He gives us a community. He gives us people. He gives us himself. That we can walk upon even those waters. Now, all right, what does this mean? All right, this doesn't mean that in the midst of, of trial and fear and death that you just kind of like yell out like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Uh, all right, no, no. All right, we have to think a little bit, all right? Recognize, okay, this is, this is, this is, a, this is the, the sea. All right, how does Jesus walk upon this? How can I walk upon it too? 
All right, there's a little more than just, just yelling out Jesus. All right, if that hasn't been helpful for you, uh, it's because it's not connecting to any truth there, and you're just, you're just calling out for, oftentimes, for just the, the suffering to go away. But no, we need to be connected to these truths and live by faith in what Jesus Christ has done. All right, that's what it looks like to live by faith in, in the grace of Jesus. Jesus gifts us with these things. He gifts us with the ability to walk upon these waters supernaturally and miraculously because we are putting faith in what he can do. And we engage with these truths and we live according to them. All right. When you're feeling overwhelmed with the chaos, you need to stop and like, okay, Jesus is walking upon these waters. What is he doing? How can I walk with him? When we're terrified, Jesus can walk upon these waters. How can I walk with him? In death, how can I walk with him? How, is, how can he walk, transcend these waters? How can I? And that's right, I recognize this is, this is asking you to do miracles. Not to do them, but to, but to live according to them. All right. You cannot muster up walking on water. And that's where it's, it's such a beautiful picture. It, you, you can't try it. If, it. I don't care how hard you try, you will not do it. And that's where we try to have this great transcendent peace without looking at Jesus. And, you know, we have all of our, uh, our flotation devices that we've strapped to ourselves, like, like distraction and, and food and sex and money and comforts and, dis- and entertainment. And, you know, like maybe I can like make myself a little like bungalow floating aisle here and, and get through this. And, all right, you can't walk on water. And you will not walk on water if you're not looking at Jesus. You have no power to do this. That's like changing your shoes and being like, maybe now I can wash on, walk on water. I, I've, I've put a lot of effort into this. All right, it's not going to work. I don't care how expensive your Nikes are. All right? It's not going to work. And that's what we, we have to recognize. that This kind of peace, it is only gifted to us as we put faith in Jesus Christ. We talk about this difference between living by works or living by faith. This is an opportunity to live by faith that Jesus would gift us with things that we cannot earn for ourselves. In this case, an amazing peace that transcends reason itself. That is what we're looking for. And I, I remind you, if it's not by you working really hard to attain this peace, if it is by faith, how did this all get earned for us? How did we get to this place where we can now walk on water? All right. We can walk on water because Jesus, even though he could, he didn't. And he stopped walking on water and he gave himself into the chaos and the fear and the death. That's how the, the psalmist represents the cross for Jesus. Psalm 69 Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters and the floods engulf me. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me. From the deep waters, do not let the flood waters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. All right, these are, this is a messianic psalm about Jesus. 
It goes on to talk about the, the vinegar that's in his mouth, the, the persecution, the, the cross. And the picture of it is, is him drowning in the waters. Psalm 88, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Jesus has no business saying these things. Jesus should not be in this place that these are messianic psalms. These are psalms that we ought to be living. That we in our sin, that we we stand under judgment. We deserve chaos. And we deserve to be under fear of God and fear of the world. And we deserve in our sin to be under death. But Jesus Christ takes it for us. And Jesus Christ is instead submits himself to these same things, and he is pulled down into the deep. He is like Jonah taken down, and for three days he is dead in the water, but he is literally dead. But then Jesus Christ, our resurrected Savior, comes, and he gives us all of these promises, and they are true because he is resurrected and because he has died for us. That is our great loving Savior. That is the one who loves us. That is the one who cares for us. That is the one who invites us out into the water and says, you know what, I'm not trying to drown you. I'm not a ghost. I'm not trying to kill you. I just, you can walk upon these waters. Just look at me. Look at Jesus. And now, for the sake of completeness, Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first earth and the first Heaven had passed away, and the sea was no more. Right? He is going to gift us a place where there is no sea. There is no chaos. There is no fear. There is no death because he has been victorious over it. Right? Let's pursue that Savior. Let's, let's receive that gift from him. And let us keep our eyes transfixed on Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you send Jesus to, to walk upon the sea and to, to defeat chaos and fear and death. And Father, we ask that we might not look to other things. And we confess that we, we do look to every other thing to find peace. And Father, we ask that we would look to Jesus. We ask that we would be gifted the things that we try to attain. Father, would you help us to stop in those times and recognize when we are in the midst of the sea and to see Jesus walking upon the waters and to, with our eyes transfixed on him to walk to. Father, we thank you that you do things that we cannot, that you, we, we never could even fathom but you work in the midst of all of these things. Father, would you give us an abundance of faith? Holy Spirit, would you help us to to fall in love with Jesus, that we would gaze upon him for the joy of doing so? And Would you help us? We pray in Jesus Christ's name.
Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no Jesus is called. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing this together. Oh, what a Savior, isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen, bow down before him, for he is Lord of all, sing hallelujah, Christ is risen, no one has saved. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Thank you. 
arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Let's hear our benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. 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 All right. You will not come here again. We will see you at Immaculate Conception (laughs) School on next Sunday. All right. Do not show up here this next Sunday.